Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and Lord, we just confess how desperately we need you. Uh, Lord, we need to hear and to see and, and apply the story of Joseph. And Lord, here's a man that suffered great betrayal. Uh, the, the burdens on his life were so immense, and yet, Lord, you took it and you worked it all together for good, not just for him, not just for his family, but for the whole world. And um, Lord, We've got so many that's a part of our church family or, or even if they're peripherally a part, uh, there's just so many that, that, that face have had, have had so many hurts and what they need, what the people in their life need, what the world so desperately needs is for them to enter into the fellowship of Christ's suffering, uh, to count it joy to suffer persecution, Lord, to trust you through trials and tribulations. God, we wanna put on Christ, and, and so Lord, we need eyes to see, and we need your grace. We need wisdom and grace to apply it to our lives, and so Lord, we're trusting you for all of that this morning. Lord, we wanna look at your word and get full of faith and then live it out in our lives, and so God, we're trusting for you to do what only you can do. God, would you take the weakness of my flesh and my stumbling lips, and, and Lord, uh, that's nothing for you. Lord, would you take your word and, and in the power of your Holy Spirit speak uh, over our lives for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So again, Genesis 37, now we start the life of Joseph and, and this is uh, a critical passage for us. We're gonna see, you know, there's some debate in a couple of points in the Genesis record I'm in the camp that with all my heart, I believe the Bible records no sin on, of, of, of Joseph. Uh, he's obviously a sinner, right? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. But the Bible chooses to not record his sin so that the type will be perfect. The picture of who Joseph is, what he represents, we have to see that because he is a model for us to follow. And, and so not only are we gonna get incredible insight into what Christ endured and, and who Christ is and what he's done uh, for us, we're gonna get insight in terms of how to follow in his footsteps. And, and we're gonna trust the Holy Spirit to make all of that application. The first 11 verses, we're gonna, <coughs> we're gonna title this section, Joseph Loved. We see him loved by his father. Verse one says, and Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Billah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now, what you have here is Joseph, he's a good kid. He's trying to do what is right, and he sees, his, he sees his brothers trying to do what is evil. And he loves his brothers, and so he doesn't keep it quiet. He's loving his brothers, and so sometimes uh, love means sounding the alarm. I'm, I'm worried that my brothers are gonna offend God. I'm worried that my brothers are gonna pick the wrong fight. I'm worried that my brothers, in the pursuit of evil, evil will consume them. But now, here's the thing. Uh, you want to get this down, point number one, verse two. Joseph was hated because he wouldn't hide his brother's unrepentant sin. That's why he was hated. That's the first thing that we see. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12, okay, think about, you know, application for today. Proverbs 10, 12 says, hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. Okay, notice how it's worded, but love covereth all sins. Now, you compare scripture with scripture and you find out very clearly that, that love, godly love, right? Love does not cover for unrepentant sin. Love doesn't excuse away, make excuses for. It doesn't cover unrepentant sin. It doesn't aid and abet sin. It doesn't help sin. But it does endure all sin. It can handle anything. It covers for all sins. No matter what the damage done, love always endures. You can't hate me, hurt me, right? You can't create a scenario where love cannot overcome, where love cannot be enough. Uh, that's 
how the mature in Christ respond. First Peter chapter four, verse eight says, and above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Psalms 32, verse one, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And before we finish the life, the story of Joseph, we're gonna find out that that's exactly what happens. His brethren, um, Joseph is going to deal hardly with them. He's gonna be tough regarding their sin, but at the end of all of it, their sin is forgiven. Uh, why? Because he loves them. He loves them. Their, their sin is covered. Uh, this is like Shem and Japheth. You know, they were blessed because they covered their father Noah's sin. Uh, Noah, after the flood, plants a vineyard, takes the grapes and makes some wine, gets drunk in his tent, and he un- uncovers himself. Tent's open, and there's Noah, buck naked, passed out in the tent. Ham sees it. He does not respond rightly. But Shem and Japheth, Genesis 9, verse 23, took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. Why? Well, they love their dad. And so they're covering it. Noah woke from his wine, and he knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, Canaan, and Canaan shall be his servant. So they're blessed because of their love for Noah. They cover that. You know, no, we've never in our life seen dad drunk. We're not even 100% sure what's wrong with him. This is the first case of recorded drunkenness in the history of humanity. And so something went wrong. Let's take care of dad. Um, but at the same time, uh, sin has to be dealt with. Proverbs 28:13 says, "He that covereth his sins shall not prosper." Ah, no wonder you're not getting ahead in life. <laughs> right? He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Brother, sister, you want the blessing of God over your life. Amen. Uh, you want you want to know that God is looking over the banister of heaven and he's looking at your life and he's saying, there's my beloved son, there's my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Everybody else, listen up, hear them, right? Follow in their footsteps. See, sometimes love has to call out evil and it's not easy, right? Sometimes love has to make a hard call and do hard things. In 1 Corinthians chapter five, the church had a member, First. First Baptist Church of Corinth, they got a member that he's sleeping with his father's wife. And everybody's like, well, there's liberty in Christ. <laughs> uh, if we continue in sin, grace abounds. Uh, they, didn't, they weren't dealing with it. And so Paul has to instruct them. In verse one, he says, it is commonly reported that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. I mean, heathen devil worshipers know better than to sleep with their father's wife. That one should have his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that, might, or that, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For verily is absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already, I've judged already as though I were present concerning him that has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together in my spirit with the power of, the, of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of his flesh. He's living for the flesh in an incredibly out of control, out of the character of Christ's way. He's pursuing a life in the flesh. Let him, let, him, let him see the fulfillment of that. So what you're gonna do as a church is you're gonna agree together that the protections of the believer are removed. You're gonna put him out of membership. You're gonna deliver him over to Satan for the destruction of his, of his flesh he's gonna see that the way of the transgressor is hard. That's the object, that's the goal of church discipline. Why? Well, because you need to love this guy. Why? That the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. He needs to come to the place of repentance where he will again start moving forward in faith. And guess what? Hard but biblical love greatly helps when it's received. You know, I'm sure it was a rough day, man. I'm sure there was a lot of weeping. You can't judge me. You don't know my heart. God knows my heart. Well, no, you can't be an unrepentant perv 
I mean, this is, uh, this is off the charts. You're sleeping with your father's wife. This should not be named once as becometh saints. You don't call yourself a member of First Baptist Corinth, of Corinth, a member in good standing and an unrepentant adulterer. You don't get to do that. And so we're putting you out of membership. We're asking God to remove his protection from you as a son. Uh, you're gonna have a hard time in the flesh. And it worked. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 5, we find out this dude did repent and he was restored in verses 5 through 12. Did I give you that cross reference in your notes? Do you have that? 2 Corinthians 5, verses 2 through 12. Uh, this afternoon, read that. I mean, he was restored. Well, okay, guess what? Jacob gravely, greatly sinned against by his brethren. They're unrepentant. And between how God orchestrates events and then the way that Jacob responds when it all comes out, he deals very hardly with them because he loves them. And they come to a place of repentance and his love for them, his love for his family, it covered the whole, not just of his family, but it impacted the whole world. You got brothers and sisters in Christ who think, okay, I've got, I've got my ticket to heaven. Now I'm gonna continue in sin. Grace is gonna abound. Romans 6 says the right response to that is what? God forbid. That isn't who we are in Christ. God's worth being right with. He's worthy that we would follow him according to what his word lays out for and over our lives. But every once in a while, you've got someone who says, I, don't, I, I know what the Bible says, but... In other words, what they're saying is, I don't care what the Bible says, I'm gonna do it my way. They're disciples of Frank Sinatra, not the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so what ends up happening then is you've got these lists in the Bible where the church is commanded to exercise church discipline. You got someone who is living in unrepentant sin. If the church doesn't deal with it, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Next thing you know, God's having to judge the whole, deal hardly with the whole church. Uh, church discipline is never comfortable, but love holds the object of love accountable to truth. Is this making sense, brothers and sisters? Uh, love does the hard work of holding the object of that love accountable to biblical truth. Here's Joseph, he sees his brother pursuing, his brothers pursuing evil, and he's like, this is, I'm in over my head, what do you do? You take your care, your worry to the father, you cast it all on him, why? Because you know he loves us. Cast all your care on him, why? Because he loves you. Tattle, you got somebody in your life that's perpetrating? Go talk to the father about it. Um, you know, I was sharing this with our leaders. Man, we don't wanna over-pastor. No, we gotta be careful with that. There's so much of the work of ministry that the Holy Spirit is gonna do. Anytime we've got a believer, we've got a man on the inside, the Holy Spirit's on the inside and he's working. The first response to any problem uh, is you can talk to somebody about it, that's no problem, okay? It's always right to speak truth and love to people. But, but the person that you wanna be talking to first and foremost is your Father in heaven. Because man, the Holy Spirit's on the inside, he's grieved over sin. You think you're grieved over sin? That's nothing. The Holy Spirit is grieved over sin. Uh, God is at work in his people. But absent repentance, something has to be done. Okay, so this is what Jacob is doing. He loves them, right? His love is enough for even this sin. And he makes the hard choice. Now watch this, verse three. Joseph was hated because he was loved more than the others by, by Jacob. Verse three says, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. So mom and dad, beware. I mean, beware. How many parents have a favorite child? How many of you parents have a favorite child? Wisdom says don't raise your hand. You can be like. Um, be careful with that. Okay, I've got three favorite children. Uh, Sophie's my favorite daughter. I have one daughter. She's my favorite daughter. I've got a favorite middle son. Uh, he's my favorite, he's so smart. I mean, he's a tech genius, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's a lot of reasons, he's got such a good heart. Uh, he's, he's, my, he's my favorite middle son and there's a lot of reasons he's my favorite. 
And then I've got a favorite youngest son, right? He's my favorite youngest son, and, and uh, man, I, I, he's my favorite for so many, good heart, uh, his character, uh, the way he communicates. Uh, he's a gifted trash talker. You know, there's just, there's, 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 there's ways to express your love and appreciation for your children where you're not setting one over the rest and engendering bitterness uh, between your children. Jacob, Israel, is sowing dysfunction into his family. More than that, he gives Joseph a coat of many colors. So what this means is that Israel has chosen Joseph to be the one through whom God's Abrahamic covenant would be fulfilled. Uh, That's what he's communicating with this. He is the son of his favorite wife, the one he wanted in the first place. Joseph is the firstborn. And so what he's telegraphing to the whole family is, this is the heir. He will, when I retire from running this family, Joseph will be the one that's ruling. Well, you know, Jacob does that because he's kind of a prophet. Um, you know, he, he will see this before Genesis is over. Jacob is a prophet. Jesus had a special garment. Uh, it was so special that, you know, they were, they were dividing up the, the goods and they, they didn't want to tear this garment, so they cast lots for it. And I gave you the cross-references for you. Uh, 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 about that for you in the notes. Uh, Psalm 22, Matthew 27, John 19. But the brothers see this multicolored coat and they flip out, they go off, why? Well, because this is the kind of coat that you would give to royalty, okay? The king would wear a multicolored coat. That was very expensive, but it also, so not only does he have the nicest set of duds, but it's also telling everyone, this is my heir. Uh, He's saying this is the first son of Rachel. Now Leah's first son, Reuben, he's not gonna be the head patriarch of this family. Reuben was rejected over his sin. So pro tip, do not lay with your father's wife. There's a theme here, right? Don't do that. That's, uh, That's as gross and as bad as it gets. And so Reuben, uh, he, you know, it was his father's concubine, it wasn't his mother, but it was still his father's wife, and so he's rejected over his sin, uh, and we saw that in Genesis 35, verse 22. So these brothers, they see this coat of many colors, and they rightly recognize it as a birthright move. Dad is putting Joseph in charge. So they concoct a plan to kill him, and that's exactly what they did to Jesus, isn't it? Jesus calls out the religious rulers. He's like, you know who I am. You know I am the heir. So you got this parable of the husbandman and the heir. So the rich man has a vineyard and he wants what's due him. And so he sends his reps, he sends his representatives and they reject and they persecute and they torture. I mean, man, they they treat them hard. And so what he does, he says, I'll send my son. I'll send the heir and they'll reverence him. Luke 20, verse 14 says, but when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, this is the heir, come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. That's really what Jesus is calling out. You don't want to submit to the rule of your Messiah. You want to be in charge. You got the wrong spirit. It's the spirit of Antichrist. And that's the way it always works. Uh, it's a lot, you know, John said it this way 2,000 years ago that even today, like right now in his time, there are many antichrists. The spirit of antichrist stands in the place of God as God, showing himself that he is God. That's what he does. That's how it's described in 2 Thessalonians chapter two. It's birthed in Lucifer's heart in Isaiah chapter 14. I will stand in the place of, as God, showing myself that I am God. In other words, I'll have a throne and I'll be worshiped by the stars of heaven just like Jehovah is and God's like, no you won't, you're gonna go straight to hell. So there it is. I mean, the husbandmen say this is the heir. Jesus was saying to the religious rulers, you know exactly who I am. You don't wanna submit to my rule. So what happened? The Jewish leadership conspired with Gentile authority, we conspired, humanity, we conspired together to kill our creator, to kill the Messiah. He will not rule over us. And that's exactly where his, Joseph's brothers, that's where their heart is. This kid, our little brother, will not rule over us. 
Point number three, verses five through 11, we see that Joseph was hated because of his dreams from the Lord. Look at verse five. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. So a lot of people will say, see, Joseph had a lot of sin in his life. He was, he was proud. He had pride in his heart. And he's crowing uh, about his future dominion over his brothers. And, and I don't see that here. He dreamed, he's the little brother. He dreams a dream and he just tells the dream. And the brothers interpret it. He's like, man, it was weird. Your sheaves were bowing down to my sheaf. And the brother's like, oh, so we're gonna bow down to you? <laughs> they hate him for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreams another dream, verse nine. He dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, what is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee and to the, uh, to the earth? Verse 11, and his brethren envied him. That's a key word there. His brethren envied him. Remember what we saw just a while ago. Um, uh, verse four, they hated him. And they couldn't speak peaceably unto him. Now we see that they envy him. But his father observed the saying, so what are we seeing here in verses five through 11? Well, God's showing Joseph the future. In other words, we're finding out Joseph is a prophet. God tells Joseph what's coming in the future and he uses the mechanism of dreams. And uh, that's Joseph's specialty as a prophet, okay? Uh, God speaks to him in dreams and what we'll see is this gifting develops he actually has the ability to interpret the dreams of others, okay? That's his wheelhouse. Uh, that, I mean, and that's the extent of what we see in scripture. He doesn't use divination. We'll talk about that when we get there uh, at the end of the life of Joseph. He doesn't do that. No, he is a, a dreamer, but he's an interpreter of dreams. Joseph was a prophet, and his family does not believe his word. Why? Well, because he's a perfect type of Christ. Jesus was also, I mean, is Jesus himself not a prophet? He speaks all about the future and his family didn't receive him. Matthew chapter 13, verse 57, says that his brethren were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. Other people will listen, but family won't. Why, well, because you're a pesky brother. And so just like Jesus, who is that capital P prophet that Moses wrote about, his brethren reject his preaching, his prophecies. Uh, they came around later, but, but uh, at first they rejected him. Same thing with Joseph. At first his brethren reject him. They will come around later when they find out he is the savior of the whole world. They do end up bowing down to him. That's how the story turns out. Okay, so in verse seven, dream number one is 11 sheaves bowing down to Joseph's sheave. So the first dream is terrestrial. What, what, what are we talking about? His brothers end up bowing down to him as a result of an agricultural calamity. There is seven years of famine that brings not only Joseph's brethren to his feet, it actually brings the whole world to Joseph's feet. Joseph ends up ruling over the entire civilized world. But then in verse nine, we see dream number two. You've got the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowing down to Joseph. So the sec where the first dream was terrestrial, the second dream is celestial. And it shows the promotion of Joseph over the whole house of Jacob. And Israel, Jacob himself, gave the proper interpretation. Jacob knew what the dream meant. Look at verse 10. Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee in the earth? And the brothers, they envy and hate Joseph for his dreams for their father's preference for him. But Jacob observed it, because guess what? He ends up coming, right? the whole family comes bowing before Jacob. So don't miss, this is a picture 
of Joseph as a type of Christ. In other words, the story of Joseph is supposed to show you Jesus, the person, the life, the ministry, and the, and the suffering of Christ. We're gonna see it all in the life of Joseph. And so don't miss this picture of Joseph as a type of Christ. Revelation chapter 12, in verses one through six, what do you have? Well, a great wonder in heaven. And here is a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. So this woman in this vision represents the nation of Israel. And so there you have, right? You've got Jacob and, and, um, and uh, uh, Rachel. You've got, you've got the, 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 the parents. You've got the 12 patriarchs. And she produces the Messiah, verse 12. And she being with child cried, tra- travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered, and there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And he drew, right, his, his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to deliver, or for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God into his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. So here's the picture. Just like Joseph's brethren were preserved by Joseph, right? Joseph's brethren, Israel was preserved by Joseph as a type of Christ as a result of what? Well, seven years of famine. The seven years of famine will picture what? tribulation, right? So seven years of famine bring them to a place where they're ready to receive Joseph as their ruler. That's what we'll see in the story of Joseph. All of Israel, Jacob's family, acknowledges his right to rule over them. Well, so also Israel, during the tribulation period, so here you got this woman that produces the Messiah, And what does she do? Well, at his first coming, (laughs) and we'll see all of this in Joseph's life, the first time he comes to his brethren, they kill him, right? That's the first appearing of him. That's what we're gonna see today. Then the second time they see Joseph, they end up submitting to him. They They end up bowing before him. So Israel produces the Messiah, Israel, colludes with Gentile authority to kill him. And then in the second, so he's caught up to God in his throne, right? But he returns to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And as he does this, what happens? Okay, so this is the way that it works out. It's the time called Daniel's 70th week. A peace treaty passes. The Antichrist makes this peace treaty with the nations of the world in Israel and it's finally peace in our time. Everybody's like, this guy's a genius. Okay, in the middle of this peace treaty, there's an assassination attempt on his life. You read about that in Revelation chapter 13. He ends up with a grievous head wound. He's dead for three days, and then on the third day, up from the grave he arose, and he thinks it's in triumph or his foes. He literally is indwelt by Satan himself, Okay, he is now the, the, the spirit of Antichrist personified and he walks into the temple of God. There'll be a future third temple on the temple mount. He walks into it as God showing himself that he is God. He demands worship of himself. He erects an image and this image, right, causes everyone, that everyone has to worship him or, or else you're killed, okay? So what do you have? At that moment that he does this, this is what's called, Daniel talked about it, it's called the abomination of desolation. And when Jesus, in describing that in Matthew's gospel, he says, when you see that, run. Run to the Judean wilderness because there you will be, a remnant will be saved. You will be supernaturally fed and watered. You'll be hidden, protected. You'll be cared for during this great time of tribulation. The last three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week, this peace treaty is broken, it's hell on earth, and the Antichrist tries to take out the Jewish people, wipe them off the face of the earth. And right before he gets it done, it's like in my imagination, I like to imagine he's, he's finally figuring out where the remnant is hid, you know. 
Uh, God's been hiding them in the wilderness. He thinks he knows what they are and he's just gonna wipe them off the map once and for all and, and then here comes the king. He comes with 10,000s of his saints. What do you have? You have a deliverance of the Jewish people from the intent and the will and the persecution of the Antichrist. For three and a half years, she's been protected. And all of this time of tribulation results once again in all of Israel acknowledging Christ's right to rule over them. Romans chapter 11 describes it this way. I would not, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. Paul is writing to Gentile believers. He says, don't get full of yourself. What God's doing for you, you get to be a part of his church, his bride. Um, you're special, but you're not that special. What's he saying? Blindness, in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. What will happen? Christ will come for his bride. The seven-year covenant will unfold. In the middle of that seven years, it will be broken. It'll be hell on earth, particularly for the Jewish nation. But once verse 26 takes place, look at how it's worded. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. What happens when Jesus returns to save Israel from the Antichrist at the end of the tribulation? All Israel shall be saved. There's a national delivery, isn't there? Just like just like, right, at the, at, the, at, the, at, the, at the point of perishing, Joseph saves the house of Israel. So also Christ at the end of the tribulation. He will save the house of Israel. And then don't miss the biblical picture. Once again, we're seeing this principle of the elder serving the younger. All of his older brothers, less one younger brother, but all of his older brothers end up serving Joseph. Matthew 21, 42, Jesus saith unto them, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. And that's exactly what happens. His brothers who are over him at this time, they reject him and then he becomes the head and corner. They end up bowing before him. Well, that's what's true of Christ. His brethren, not only his brethren rejected him at his first coming, but the religious rulers rejected him, the builders, those who are supposed to rightly steward the people of God for God's glory. God sends his son, this is the heir, let's kill him, we'll rule instead, okay? They reject their Messiah, he ends up being the head in the corner. Is everybody with me so far? Okay, so Joseph is getting the hook up through some dreams. So very quickly, I put this in your outline. You can study this out. Three points on dreams. Dreams help you process your life, okay? You say, I had this crazy dream. I mean, you've had some crazy dreams, haven't you? I mean, you've had some dreams where you're like, how was that even in my head? Like, how did I even come up with that? That was like, gross or that was like so fantastic. It's like somebody should make a movie out of that. Like there's some of these dreams that you had. You're like, there is no, how did, how did I come up with that? How was that in my head? Man, good news, you're not crazy. You recognize that dream was far out. You were processing stuff and, and you need that uh, to be psychologically sound, okay? But you also need to know this. Dreams can be delusions influenced by Satan. And so I give you Jeremiah 23 as homework. False prophets dream dreams. They're convinced, I dreamed a dream and so now this is what God is doing. And they're wrong because they're getting the dream from a wrong source. So Satan has the ability to influence dreams. You just need to know that. But at the end of the day, uh, before, before God's people had the full counsel of written scripture, dreams were used to communicate God's will and God's word before God's people had the certainty of the words of truth. Okay, so, you know, in Joseph's day, the Bible is teeny tiny. It's a small Bible, okay? First Corinthians chapter 13. Has that which is perfect come? Has it? I mean, I believe with all my heart, this is complete. This is the mature, perfect, complete, 
whole word of God. I don't need a dream to tell me what to do with my life. I don't need a dream to tell me what's coming, what's happening in the future. God's a big God. He can do whatever he wants, but he has spoken to his church, to his bride, through his word. What is he doing, Ephesians 5? He's washing his bride with the water of his, the dreams he gives you after you eat too much pizza and you got indigestion and what's the one where it's like coming up? Acid reflux, oh that's a good one, you know. Indigestion, acid reflux, gas, and then you have this, oh God speaking. No, that was your belly God throwing a fit, you know. No, that which is perfect is calm. I don't need a dream to tell me God's future for my life, God's plan for my life. Book, chapter, verse, I have a problem, I have a question, I have an issue, I need to find out what God said, amen? Uh, We have the certainty of the words of truth, and so these are things that you just wanna keep in mind. Now, Jacob, or Joseph, was gifted in this area of dreams. Okay, and we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that in his life story. All right, verses 12 through 36. This is the section we're gonna title Joseph Loathed, okay? Dad is loving him in the first 11. His brethren are hating him, and watch how it breaks down. Verse 12 says, and his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. So verse 12, Joseph's brothers go back to Shechem. Shechem was the place of their first backsliding. Right, this is where Dinah, their sister, was raped. It's where, oh yeah, Simon and Levi murdered an entire town in cold blood. Uh, this is not a good place for Israel. Verse 13, and Israel said to Joseph, do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send thee unto them. And he said unto him, here am I. Why does he do that? Why does he obey the will of his father immediately? Oh yeah, because Joseph is a perfect type of Christ. That's what Jesus said, right? Joseph was an obedient son because Christ was an obedient son. He said in John 5, verse 19, the son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the son likewise. Dad calls me to go to my brethren. Joseph goes, and his brethren rise up and kill him. The father calls the son to go to the house of Israel. And what does Israel do with her Messiah? They rise up and they kill him. Verse 30, I can, do my, I can of my own self do nothing, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. So he's going in submission to his Father. So he said unto him, verse 14, go I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem, and a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field, and the man asked him, saying, what seeketh thou? And he said, I seek my brethren, tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, they are departed hence, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now therefore and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, some evil beast hath devoured him and we will see what what will become of his dreams. Okay, so don't miss what's happening here. Point number three, from from Joseph's brother's fallen position, right, they're in Shechem, this place of backsliding. It's a very short trip to a Dothan, a place where they're plotting his murder. Do you see that? It's a place where they plan to murder their little brother. Man, you backslide just a little, you're making room for all kinds of trouble. Backsliding is a very dangerous thing because once you start making small allowances for the flesh, pretty soon you're involved in and you're doing things that yesterday you would think were unthinkable. So I start justifying some small sin today. Before I know it, tomorrow, I'm justifying great sin in my life. I'll be doing things that today I would think, yeah, that could never do that. No, you're capable of any kind of wickedness. Once you start making provision for the flesh, once you start justifying sin, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? All it takes is just a little justifying, provision, protection of a little sin, and that thing will just start growing. You know, revival is lost when you go back to a life in the world, right? A life in and with the lost world. 
And they did the same thing. So, so now they're saying, okay, this is the heir. Let's kill him. This is the heir. He thinks he'll rule over us. If we kill him, we'll see what happens with his dreams. And they did the same with Jesus, right? We saw that in Luke's gospel. You see it in all the gospels. This is the heir. Let's kill him. Why? Because Joseph is a type of Christ. But now watch the intervention in verse 21. And Reuben heard it. And he delivered him, Joseph, out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness and lay no hand upon him that he might rid him, that Reuben might rid Joseph out of there, the brother's hands, to deliver him to his father again. Joseph knows these guys are out of control, or Reuben knows that these brothers are out of control and he's gonna have to get Joseph back to dad. So point number four, obviously, Joseph's brothers are murderous. Reuben's the only exception. Reuben's the firstborn. He knows he's responsible to protect Joseph and get him back to dad here in verse 30. We'll see that. But the brothers decide to kill Joseph. Why? In order to prevent his dreams from being fulfilled. And that's pretty amazing. Uh, Joseph is my little brother. He's dreaming dreams that sure sound like he thinks we're gonna be worshiping him. We're gonna be reverencing him. So the right response is, let's kill him. Okay, that's, un- that's unbelievable. So you don't get to rape my sister. If you do, we're gonna murder the entire town. Right? We're gonna kill everybody. But my brother says something a little presumptuous and it's okay to murder him. <laughs> do you see how bizarre these guys, how bizarre their logic and their reasoning is? These guys are out of control. And it's amazing, right? They're willing to kill all the males of Shechem in revenge for their sister. Now they're killing their own brother. Why? Well, because they're just like Cain. First John 3, verse 12. Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore, wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brother, and if the world hate you. Well, that's exactly what happened. They hated Joseph because he was righteous and their works were evil. So the obvious Solution is kill him. I mean, that's the definitive. I mean, that's, I mean, it doesn't get any more evil in terms of work than that. Murder a little brother. And it's heartbreaking when you consider that Joseph's anguish pleading, they just ignore it. In Genesis 42, verse 21, they remember, they said to one, to, one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us. He's pleading with them, please, please, no, don't do this. Help me. And we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and you would not hear. Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. We already saw that the reason they hate him, right, the reason this malice toward him is now on display is because they envied him. Envy has this sister named Malice, and they always room together. Uh, you see it in Titus 3.3, 3. they're listed together. First Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Envy produces malice. See, here's the thing, get this down in your notes. Joseph's presence in their life didn't create these problems. It doesn't make them full of envy. It doesn't make them have evil works. Right? Joseph's presence in their life did not create those problems, but it absolutely did reveal them. They're living evil, Joseph is living righteous. And so what do they have to do? They have to persecute him for righteousness sake. Count it all joy when you suffer what? For evil works? No, for living Christ, for righteousness. Right? You're living for righteousness sake. His righteousness reveals their wickedness. Okay, apart from the appearance of Joseph in Genesis, the family of Judah would have totally self-destructed. They're on a path to being wiped out. And if the people of Canaan don't wipe them out, it's gonna be the famine that's coming. Outside of a Messiah, outside of a Savior, this family's doomed. Man, this, this one who they persecute is the one that God's gonna use to save them. Do you see how Joseph is a type of Christ? It's amazing. Okay, verse 23. And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren, 
So at his first coming, what do they do? They strip Joseph out of his coat. Oh, they did that with Christ. They took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, Judah is the forebearer of Christ himself. He comes up with a solution to conspire with the Gentiles to sell out the one that God's gonna use to save them. Do you see the pattern? Is everybody with me? Okay, so this is, this is pre, this is pre, uh, this, is, this is prescient, right? This is prehistory of Christ's betrayal. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother in our flesh and his brethren were content. Let's get the Romans to crucify him. <laughs> then verse 28, there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. Uh, Judas sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and they brought Joseph to Egypt. Leviticus 27.5 tells you that 20 pieces of silver is the price of a slave. So they're literally selling Joseph to their cousins, right? The, 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 they're selling, right, for 20 pieces of silver. Now they're bringing Joseph into slavery in Egypt. So they're selling their kin. So we know they're murderous, but point number five, Joseph's brothers were covetous. So now we know theft was part of their motivation for the murder of an entire town of Shechem. We saw that in Genesis 34. Yeah, they, they killed and spoiled the city because they defiled Dinah. But look at this, verse 28. They took their sheep, their oxen, and their asses, and that which was in the city, and that which was in the field, and all their wealth, and all their little ones, and their wives took they captive and spoiled even all that was in the house. So they took their wives and their kids. They, now they've got concubines and a workforce. They've got servants, and they take all their stuff. It's for covetousness. They murdered everyone. Well, now history's repeating itself. His brothers sell Joseph into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. Jacob describes them this way, Genesis 49.5. Simon and Levi are brethren. You're brothers, you should have acted like brothers. Instead, instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. So Joseph was purchased by his cousins, the Ishmaelites. I mean, this is a lousy family. You thought your family was bad. You were never sold into slavery by your, by your, cousin, by your brothers, <laughs> your cousins. It's a terrible family. Slavery has been a part of humanity almost our entire time we've existed. It's not been limited to one nation or people. It's been practiced by Arabs, Africans, Asians, Europeans, North Americans, South Americans. Uh, everybody's dabbled in it. Asians, Indians, I mean, everybody's dabbled in slavery. It's still being practiced today. Kansas City is a hub for the modern slave trade. Uh, the highway networks being what they are, Kansas City's a nexus point. People are sex trafficked through our city all the time, uh, working as modern day slaves. Uh, slavery is alive and well, and it's still evil. Verse 29, Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes, and he returned unto his brethren and said, the child is not, and whither shall I go? So let's lie and cover it up. Verse 31, they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Know thou whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, it is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, for I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him, and the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. Okay, so point number six, Jacob. What goes around comes around. Jacob is convinced that Joseph, his favorite son, is dead. And how was he convinced of this? Well, his sons deceived him. And how did they deceive him? They took, 
their brother's clothes and a kid of goat, right? A kid of a goat, right? A, a young goat, and they use that for the deception. Okay, does anybody remember whenever a son and his family did? Yeah, it was him. J- Jacob did the exact same thing. Jacob deceived his father Isaac using his brother Esau's clothes and the skins of a goat and the flesh of a goat, didn't he? He did the exact same thing. We saw that in Genesis 27. So now Joseph's brothers are using the kid of a goat and their brother's clothes to deceive their father Jacob. God, you know, Jacob, you deceiver, you supplanter. How do you like it? How do you like it now? It's a good idea, huh? <laughs> Numbers 32, 23. Behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. God keeps score. Your sin, he knows about it in every detail and you, it will come back around, it will be repaid. The only way God will forget your sin is at Calvary. That's the only way. And man, we need that. Because what goes around comes around. The only way to satisfy the wrath of an infinite and infinitely holy God, an infinite being, the only way to satisfy his wrath as a finite person is it takes eternity in hell. You can't, as a finite individual, satisfy the wrath of an infinite being. Can't be done. It takes something infinite to satisfy it, so that will be you suffering for eternity. You will learn infinity. But now if you, in repentance of sin, come to Christ, God, I see the exceeding sinfulness of my sin. I don't want that to be my life anymore. God, forgive my sin. Lord Jesus, I believe you are my sin bearer. I believe the wrath of the Father was satisfied over my sin 2,000 years ago at Calvary. Lord, take my sin, forgive my sin. Lord, take my life. Lord, give me your life. Come into my heart and life and save me. The Bible says you're born again, you're a new creature in Christ, and God remembers your sin no more. It's like the east is from the west. North and south are points. You can actually go stand on them. Typically, mostly you're not comfortable, but you can do it, okay? Uh, They're finite, they're definite places, but east and west, how far apart are they? Well, they're forever apart. They just keep going apart. You can't get to the east. You can't, I mean, you can go eastward. You can go westward, but they just keep going apart. Does that make sense? And that's how God reckons your sin. It's as far from him as the east is from the west. He chooses to remember your sin. Man, I like that because of all the wickedness of I've done, all the things that I've done that sin against God, myself, and my fellow man to have that come back on me Unbearable. Behold, you've sinned against the Lord. Be sure your sin will find you out. My sin found me out at Calvary and it cost Jesus everything. He gave up his life dealing with my sin. I'm so grateful for that. Man, I pray we never get over Jesus and Calvary. All right, but then here's the last thing I want you to see. Jacob's mourning is off, it's whack. He knows he hasn't lost his son. Look at verse 35 again. I will go down Unto the, into the grave, unto my son, mourning. He knows he's gonna see him again. He knows he hasn't lost him. He already knows about Abraham's bosom. Like, he knows, he hasn't lost him. And yet, he refuses to be comforted. You know, there's, a, there's two words grave, uh, two words for grave. Sheol is not the grave. Sheol is the place of departed spirits. You read about that? in Luke chapter 16. It's called Abraham's bosom. Uh, We see the word grave used to describe Rachel's sepulcher in Genesis 35. It's describing where her body is buried. But here in chapter 37, Jacob's is the first use of this Hebrew word sheol. And it's another word for another part of the grave. The body goes into the ground, but the spirit goes to Abraham's bosom. Sheol, paradise. It's the place where the soul goes. Not, does not, it does not describe where the body rests on earth. So he knows that Jacob or Joseph is now in paradise. He knows this and he knows he will go and join him. Already the believer knows that death of the believing is not goodbye forever. It's just a see you later. And he refuses to be comforted. Okay. Believers don't sorrow like the lost world sorrows. If we lose a loved one in Christ, we lose our time with them in this earth. 
But read 1 Thessalonians chapter four. When Christ returns for us, he brings the dead in Christ back with him. The dead in Christ rise first, and then we who are alive and remain are caught up together with them. God is so good, he, he puts us with our loved ones first. We are with them to meet the Lord in the air. Isn't that amazing? We don't sorrow like the lost world sorrows. When the lost world loses a loved one, it's forever. I'd like us to bow our heads as we dismiss, and uh, I wanna pray for you as we close. Is there anyone here today that would say, man, I need love to cover sin? Maybe you're being sinned against and you need the love and the grace of God in that situation. Maybe your sin still separates you from Christ and you need the love of God, not just to cover, but to wash away your sin. You need to be saved. Maybe there are some here that you're perpetrating. You're full of greed. You're full of envy. You're living for a life in this world. Or maybe you've been the victim of those who through envy and malice, man, they've harmed and hurt you. Or maybe you're like uh, Jacob, you're grieving, you've lost someone, you've lost, you're suffering loss in this life. Man, I wanna call you this morning to submit it to Jesus. (laughs) Jesus, his love covered all the wrong, his love covered everything, covered a multitude of sins, it covered mine. Uh, We perpetrated against him for envy, we conspired together, Jew and Gentile alike, to, to destroy, to remove the air. It's so horrible whenever a Christian, particularly, okay, you're saved and life happened to you. You got hurt, you were betrayed. You didn't get what you deserve. Something happened and now you're the spiritual equivalent of an infant sucking their thumb. And you won't take up your cross and like Christ, who for the joy set before him despised the shame, right? He endured, he took up his cross because he was purchasing something for God's glory, God's kingdom. No, you won't do that. You won't take on the fellowship of Christ's suffering because it was unfair, you were betrayed, you were hurt. And now you're just justified, sucking your thumb, living for yourself. Marcus Aurelius, I'm I'm gonna butch this quote, but he said something along the lines, you know, when it's morning, it's time to wake up, you need to tell yourself, get up and get to work. Was I made, was I created just to huddle under the comfort of the covers and stay warm? You know, life's hard, it's uncomfortable. I don't like it, Well, but you were made for that. You were made to endure suffering. You You were made to glorify God despite suffering, trial, and persecution. Here's Joseph who is unjustly persecuted, suffered horribly, and for the joy that was set before him, man, he served the Lord any way he could. Why don't you stop the equivalent, the equivalency of just sucking your thumb and you got your, I know what the Bible says but here's how I was hurt, here's what went wrong and now I gotta do it my way. Why don't you just die already and love God and love God's people, die to self, lay down your life, take up your cross and decide that you're in. Count for Christ in his kingdom. Why wouldn't you today say, so help me God by his grace, I'm gonna matter for his glory. I'm gonna get on the path to growth. I'm gonna start investing the word of God in the lives of people. Or I'm gonna gonna take a step in just supporting those that do. I wanna know that what I'm doing with my life is working to help win souls and make disciples. I wanna be, I wanna, I want, man, I want the spirit to be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want fruit at the judgment seat of Christ. Father, you see us, you see who we are, you see what we're dealing with, you see what we're going through, and Lord, I'm just asking 
God, open our eyes. Help us to see that you're worth being right with regardless the trouble, regardless the persecution, regardless the point of suffering. You're worthy. You're worthy of all. God, help us to take up our cross and follow you. Lord, if there's any today that do not know Christ as Lord and Savior, God, I'm praying that today they'd be done with the excuses and that they would surrender their lives to Christ. And for those who are hurting, uh, Lord, would you confirm your love? Would you encourage, would you rebuke, would you reprove? What's needed, you know, and we trust you for it all today in Jesus' name, amen.